The last podcast I did was July of last year. The one before that was five years ago. The thing is, is like I used to do podcasts just what I did. And now I have become so comfortable being nobody and doing nothing for the world in general, for anybody outside of here, that it's really uncomfortable to address the stupids. That's the kindest thing I can say about the people, the majority of people in the world today, is they're just stupid. And when I say stupid, I mean slow to apprehend. It's very difficult to have to say something the vast majority of people will not understand. The subject matter is even worse, contemplative prayer. So it's based on essentially, unfortunately, four books, The Cloud of Unknowing, The Dark Night of the Soul, The Interior Castle, and another book that I found that is about Carl Jung and The Dark Night of the Soul, which is really bizarre because the guy is an intellectual, a scholar. As a rule, I don't have a lot of interest in scholars and scholarship because I think that it is one of the biggest hindrances to this spiritual quest of anything I can think of is, is intellectual stuff. It just, I don't even know how to say it. Maybe I can find somebody else who said it better. <laughs> That's all I've got, you know. It's like, yeah, I can find somebody else. Here you go. No knowledge coming to man through his senses or rational faculties can bring him in contact with God in order that he can know him as he is. Now, I've been at this for over 50 years, which is terrifying to think of that, even to think of that. It's like over 50 years, and this is as far as I've gotten. You know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and I feel like I'm about to make that single step. <laughs> it's not like I think I've made it someplace. It's like I'm about to make that single step, and I'm probably not, but that's how it feels. I think another one who, who says it probably better than I could, in fact, I'm sure better than I could, we're talking about 16th century writers. And that's toward the end of the 1500s. And they're Catholics. At the end of the 1500s in Spain is when John of the Cross and Teresa de Avila were writing, living, practicing. It also was during the Spanish Inquisition. So they were under tremendous amount of pressure. You look at the Spanish Inquisition and it's akin to Nazi Germany and the Gestapo. They're these people who are roaming around looking for people to examine, torture, persecute. It's hard for us to comprehend the state of affairs in that time. But it's also hard for us to understand the state of affairs in first and second century Christianity when they were murdering Christians as fast as they could. They were having thousands of people show up at arenas and then feeding them to wild beasts, burning them alive, having gladiators hack them to pieces. It's just, when you think about it, you think, how could people be so cruel? How could people be so vicious? Because in our time, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that kind of cruelty and viciousness because nobody here was alive during the Second World War when there were so many people being slaughtered by fascists. I know you hear about it all the time today, but 
you never really grasp what it was like because they don't know. The people who are screaming fascist, fascist, fascism today have no clue of what it was like. My father was there. He was a soldier during the Second World War. He was in Italy. He was in France. And he finally ended up in Germany. He brought back pictures from the concentration camps. And when I was a child, you know, he didn't show us the pictures, but he kept them tucked away. And of course, you know how kids are. They always go digging through their parents' stuff when they're not there. And, and we'd look at the pictures and just like, whoa. It was beyond belief. That's all you can say. But fortunately, they were pictures, photographs. And photographs don't have the same impact as being there with a, a human being who has been starved nearly to death. So given all this, you know, given the fact that I, I know this, given the fact that I have some experience of this, alongside of the incredible ignorance of people today, uh, words, words just fail. What can you say? How can you possibly explain to people today what it was like 60 years ago? You know, how do you explain to a kid who's 10 or 20 or 30 what it was like 60 years ago? You can't. And, and not only that, but they couldn't understand it because it has to be experienced. And I don't really wish that experience on anyone. But the thing I like about uh, Teresa de Avila, she talks about, while I was beseeching our Lord today that he would speak through me since I could find nothing to say and had no idea how to begin to carry out the obligation laid upon me by obedience. She's in a convent. Back in the 1500s in a convent, you had people over you and you had to obey them. That was the rule. And so a thought occurred to me, she says, which I will now set down in order to have some foundation on which to build. I began to think of the soul as it were a castle made of a single diamond or a very clear crystal in which there are many rooms, just as in heaven there are many mansions. She goes on then to talk about how she doesn't feel she can do this. She doesn't feel like she is up to the task. She has nothing to say. She doesn't even know where to begin. She sits down in front of a piece of paper with a pen and she says she feels so stupid and so unequipped to do what she's been ordered to do that she doesn't know what to do. She, all she can do is pray. I feel like that. I feel like here I am given a task and I have no concept whatsoever of how to, how to discharge that, how to do it. But the thing is, is you got to do it anyway. At least I have to do it anyway, because I'm under the same kind of obedience. So what I want to talk about, first of all, is the soul. Mainly because people, as a rule, don't have a clue what the soul is. Most people don't even believe there is such a thing as a soul. And when you think about it, where's your soul? Ha, ha, ha. We always have to have a funny one, huh? Here I am struggling to get through this, and his soul is the bottom of his foot. Great. That's great. So this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. That kind of flippancy, that kind of cavalier attitude that people have toward God, toward this subject. And that's what it is. It's just cavalier. And that's not a compliment. That's a rebuke. If you're going to be cavalier with the person trying to talk to you, you're already too cavalier with God. And that is a deadly error. To be cavalier with God, to be familiar with God, is what little children are like. It's like you watch little Sophie with Raul, and she will pester him. 
piggy ride, piggy ride, you know. You get on his back, climb all over him, piggy ride, piggy ride, nag him. Of course, he's a father, it's his little girl, he loves her, and so he puts up with it. And it's not even really a task of putting up with it. He does, he's not really putting up with it, but he just, he does it. He does it when he wouldn't necessarily do it for one of the older boys, but he will do it for her because of her tender years. God is like that. In the beginning, everything is so wonderful. You know, you become a Christian and it's like, this is as good as it gets. It's like being an infant. You're carried around everywhere. You're changed, you're kept warm, you're held, you're rocked, you're fed at a nice warm breast with sweet milk that's just right for you. It's perfect. That's the way you start off, but it doesn't stay that way. I remember one time a woman who used to be here said to me, do we have to go on? Do we have to get beyond this? Yeah, yeah, you do. You can't stay drinking milk forever. You can't stay a baby forever. You can't be carried forever. You can't, you can't be taken care of like an infant forever. And that's kind of a rub to people. They don't like that. So we're going to talk about the soul. And since the soul is invisible to, sense, to the senses, it's going to be necessary to define, if we can, the soul in order to aid the intellect in grasping some kind of meaning about the soul. You know, I say soul, people have all kinds of ideas. But we need to narrow that down to a meaning that will serve us. We can have any kind of meaning. You can have that meaning, you know, the sole of your foot. That can be your meaning. It's ridiculous, but still, if you're cavalier and if you're shallow, that is what you'll do. If, on the other hand, you're serious about this, if you've gotten a clue of what this is about, then all of that goes right out the window. All that frivolity, all that cavalierness goes right out the window. And what you're stuck with is yet to be seen. The soul being pivotal in its action is binary. What that means is the soul can turn one of two ways. I want you to imagine, if you will, a flashlight, okay, a flashlight. And a flashlight that can be pointed in this direction or 180 degrees in the other direction. So it can point north or it can point south. It can point east or it can point west. But it can't point north, south, east, and west. It can only point in, a, in binary. So one or the other. And it's pivotal. That is, it can spin around, it can turn in one direction or it can turn in the other direction. Now I know you know this because you've heard me talk about this before in other things in other ways, but that's what we're going to start off with. It can eventually feed from either of two sources. When I say eventually, I mean in the beginning, it only is turned in one direction. It takes a tremendous amount of effort, revelation, knowledge to learn how to attempt to turn in the opposite direction. Of course, not everyone comes to that. In fact, probably fewer than one in a thousand people come to that, which really, when you think about it, that's not very exciting. One in a thousand. And I think that's generous. I think one in a thousand is generous. So <laughs> you ask yourself, what am I doing this for? This is insanity. If you can figure one in a thousand people who can even desire this, then out of the one out of every thousand who desires it, how many of them then are willing to make the effort to do anything about it? Well, you're cutting it down even more then. So why would anyone do this? Obedience. I have nothing else to say except obedience. I feel like this is what God wants me to do. So that's the only reason I'm doing it. It's not because I want to do it. 
is certainly not because I'm going to get rich doing it. I'm already rich, so why would I want to be rich? It's not because I want to be famous, because I'd rather be invisible. I'd rather no one knew any. I feel like the preacher who did that, who was during the revival, there was a revival back at the turn of the century, turn of the other century, 19th century, 19, 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, turn of the 20th century, when it was going for the, well, the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s. There was a black preacher in Los Angeles, one-eyed black preacher in Los Angeles, and he was so smitten by the Spirit of God that he would literally, he would go to preach, but he would stick his head in an orange crate and he would preach that way because he didn't want anybody looking at him. He didn't want anybody focusing on him. I feel that way. I feel like, just leave me out of this. You know, just let God be God. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit does and forget about me. And then, if you can do that, if you can forget about me, then the next step is to forget about yourself. Because unless you can forget about yourself, you're lost. You haven't a chance at all. You've got to be able to forget about yourself. You've got to be able to get your attention off yourself. It can eventually feed from either of two sources, either the one side or the other side. The soul has lower parts and higher parts. We think of the soul as this thing, this whole thing. But what we don't understand, what's difficult to understand and we can understand, is that it is so much more expansive than anything that we can imagine. The soul is bigger than the known universe. How can that be? I don't know, but it is. And so it has lower parts and higher parts. Its lower parts turn toward the outer world through the physical senses. The higher parts turn inward toward the unknown. We'll call the unknown now the spirit because we don't know what spirit is. That's unknown. Well, people think they know, but they don't know. But that takes 50 years to figure out. It takes 50 years to figure out what you think you know you don't know. And that's if you're fortunate and if you're really working at it. The lower parts are coarse and they're more readily grasped by the intellect, which is our chief tool, which feeds our limited understanding. I'm going to talk about feeding a lot because that's really what it is. Taking in impressions is as good as it gets for us. You take in impressions through the five senses, you take in impressions through the five senses. And occasionally, rarely, you take in impressions from the other side. But we don't understand that because that's mysticism to us, because it can't be explained. It can't be touched, it can't be smelled, it can't be tasted, it can't be heard, it can't be seen. That makes it a mystical experience, an experience that very difficult to grasp. That doesn't mean it can't be grasped. Doesn't mean it can't be charted. The higher parts feed on a more sublime food, which to the intellect is bland and tasteless like the white of an egg. The intellect is not interested in this bland food. It's not interested in this blech. It wants something it can hold on to, something it can grasp, something it can understand, something it can use to build itself up. The lower parts of the soul feed from low-hanging fruit. It's easier to reach. Basically, it's just junk food. If I had to say anything about it, it would be the soul feeds primarily for, for the majority of people on this planet on junk food, just garbage, stuff that's not really fit for, for pigs. Yeah. So we have to speak of the lower, unfortunately, because this is where we begin, if we begin at all, in this spiritual quest. And it is a spiritual quest. It's, it's this, we're questing, we're journeying, we're longing, we're trying to get to something that is intangible, incomprehensible. That's really stupid when you think about it. Why would anyone do that? 
Why not just have a happy life, go to work, earn as much money as you can, have as much pleasure as you can, have as many friends as you can, buy as many of this as you want, as many of that as you want. Your measure of success will be completely, totally something that, that can be grasped through the five senses. And that's the way most people are living their lives. And that's okay. I mean, it's okay with me, I don't care. The nature of our condition is actually miserable. But for the intellect, it's a dull misery that's very easily slept through or very, very easily the misery, there, there are things that the senses provide for us that distract us from the misery. Everybody knows about this misery. Everybody knows that hollow feeling that you don't want to feel. Everybody knows about that loneliness and sense of being lost and sense of what am I doing? Even if you only catch it for that long if you're five years old and then the rest of your life, you never experience it again, you know that there is something missing. And then, of course, we use the five senses to try and fill that hole. Whatever we can pack in there with the five senses, that is what we will do. That's pretty miserable when you think about it. So what is the goal? The goal here is to purify the soul, readying it for union with God. That in and of itself leaves 80% of the people cold. First of all, who believes in God? Secondly, what do they mean by that? When, when somebody says, God, what do they mean? I know what I mean, but that doesn't mean you mean the same thing when I say that. And you're going to be a lot closer to what I mean by God than people in the world because you've spent 35 years here. And so you have become accustomed to that kind of talk, that kind of language, that kind of questing. The higher parts of the soul, which can feed the spirit, are as a rule for the majority of people dormant. There are some freaks who are not that way, but they are freaks. They're people who are out of this world. They're just out of this world. They're just different. And what makes them different is their ability to have their soul, their ability somehow, and I don't know how this happens, but somehow their soul can turn in the other direction and it can receive nourishment from the other place that isn't the five senses. And that makes them very weird, very misunderstood and murdered. What they get mostly in this world is murdered. They get marginalized, they get martyred, they get ridiculed, they get persecuted, they get murdered. So I'm inviting you, yeah, I see, you see, that's it. I'm inviting you to experience that. Now who in their right mind would do that? <coughs> in the proper order, if the soul is properly ordered, the five senses receive their nourishment from the spirit. Since the soul is not properly ordered, the soul receives its nourishment through the five senses. Properly ordered, it will receive its nourishment from the spirit and the soul will then nourish the intellect, the five senses, the carnal man. But that's just the first step. As we find ourselves, our spirit is sullied by the food the five senses feed upon. The guy at the gym, he's like 26, 27 years old. And you know, when you're 26 and 27 years old, you could eat McDonald's hamburgers every day. You could eat junk food every day. I know, there's some people gonna be upset because I called McDonald's junk food. Oh well, but there are people who can eat junk food every day and still live healthy lives because it is something that accumulates. All right, let's, for example, somebody, we know that if you eat a lot of meat, dairy, things like that, you're gonna have a problem with your cholesterol. One of the big cause of death is heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure. All these things 
are exacerbated by plaque that builds up in your arteries, narrowing them so that the heart has to pump really hard to get the blood through, to get the blood to where it's going, to where it's supposed to be going. So it's a problem. You can eat garbage a long time before that buildup actually shows you that you got a problem. By that time, it's too late. You've already got it. To reverse it is difficult. It means you have to change habits. You can reverse it or not reverse it, but minimize it with drugs. But then you got the side effects of the drugs. And no drug comes without side effects. I don't care what it is. You take an aspirin, it's got side effects. You take ibuprofen, it's got side effects. It eats your liver. Uh, aspirin makes you bleed. So you got a problem, but we don't think about the problems. We just think about, well, let's just fix it with a pill. So our spirit is sullied by the food the five senses feed upon in the same way that our bodies are corrupted and diminished and sickened by the garbage that we feed upon. The condition in which we find ourselves is dark, unspiritual, and sensual. For a lot of people, sensual is just fine. They don't have a problem with it at all. They love it. They love the five senses. They love all the things that the five senses give them. The majority of the world, they want to go to plays. They want to go to theater. They want to listen to music. They want to eat fancy food. They want to do this. They want to dress right. They want to look good. They want other people to love them. They want other people to worship and adore them. All the stuff that we already know that everybody wants, including us. Unless you have disciplined yourself to the point where you realize that what you want is death when you want that. People who want to eat a lot of junk food and grease, they're not thinking, oh, I want death, but that's what they're getting. Eventually, it will clog up their bodies and eventually it will kill them one way or another, unless, of course, they get hit by a car or whatever. They're lucky enough to be hit by a car or bus or plane crash or whatever, and then they don't have to suffer that fate that people who have strokes and then linger for years like your dad did. People who have stints put in to keep their, their arteries open so that blood can flow through. And it's just, call it modern medicine. And it's like, yeah, it's, it is, but it's a really bad way to live. But I'm not here to talk about food and like that. This is all to try and explain that the soul, like the body, has to be nourished. It has to be fed. And what it feeds on determines what it's like. It's dark, it smells, it's gross, that is thick and heavy and gross. And that doesn't occur to anyone or hardly anyone because who could find their soul? Where is your soul? It's, it's very difficult to pinpoint where your soul is because you're living in it. And it's like you're living in air. You're living in an atmosphere. You're living in air. You can't see it, well, except in LA. You can't smell it, well, except in LA. And you can't feel it, except if the wind's blowing. So it's very difficult to see yourself, to separate yourself from your soul because you can't be separated from it any more than you can be separated from your atmosphere. So that's a problem. So then most people are unaware of it. In fact, all of us are unaware of it. It takes years to become aware of your soul. Really, it takes years, decades, maybe longer for some people, and some people never do. But once you do, it's not like you can handle it like a cup or a book, it's still intangible, still not graspable by the five senses. And that is how we interact with our world through the five senses. And it's only when we begin to pull ourselves back from that and start to seek something else that we even begin to realize that there is 
something else. I mean, we have this idea. Somebody tells us, well, you know, there's something else. There's another way. What do you mean? And then somehow it dawns on us that there is something more sublime, something more subtle. It's like the difference between air and water. If you're a fish, you're fine in the water. You get in the air, which is more sublime, and you'll die. You'll suffocate because you can't get oxygen from the air. You can only get it from the water because of your physical makeup. Well, it's the same thing with the soul. It's very difficult to grasp it because it's more sublime. It's more ethereal, more than we can say. So that's really what we're going to do. We're going to try and, <laughs> this is crazy. We're going to try to feed the soul a more sublime, cleaner, brighter food, more like a plant. Plant feeds on light, water, and the nutrients it draws out of the soil or the water. If you're hydroponics, then the plant is getting its nourishment from whatever is in the water. If it's planted in the ground, it's getting its nourishment from whatever it can pull out of the ground, water and sun, sunlight. We're going to try to do the same thing. We're going to try to start to feed the soul on a more, a lighter, more sublime food, which will be a spiritual food rather than a physical food that can be uh, gathered through the five senses. The thing is, is that the intellect has to be used. We're using it now. So it's not like the intellect is bad. It's not like the five senses are bad. Whereas Christianity has somehow made that bad, but it's not bad. It just isn't the best. It isn't what you could have. It's what you do have, not what you could have. Now, a lot of people are so happy with what they do have that they're not interested in what they could have, especially if it is invisible, sublime, and difficult to grasp. Well, why bother? If you got everything you want here, why bother? And this is why the gospel is so appealing to people who don't have anything. In other words, the poor. It's not for the rich. The gospel, as a rule, is not for rich people. Rich people already have everything they want. They don't care about the gospel. They don't care about the good news for a rich person is more money. The good news for a poor person who is never going to have more money, who knows that they're going to die in abject poverty, is comfort, some kind of spiritual comfort. So that's the story as best as I can come up with it. And as I said, we'll, we'll use, and I don't know how I'm going to do this, to somehow synthesize John of the Cross, the Dark Knight of the Soul, the Ascent of Mount Carmel, and the interior castle of Teresa de Avila, and the Cloud of Unknowing by Anonymous. Somehow I've got to take all these things and synthesize them and somehow come out with an imperfect understanding or path to an understanding that, that this is really weird, that cannot be understood. It's ineffable. It can't be talked about. It can't be comprehended. It can't be understood. How do you know it exists? Only one way, experientially. You know what water feels like because you experience it. But if somebody were to tell you all about it and you'd never experienced it, it'd be like, okay, it's just abstract. But when you experience it, then it becomes concrete. It becomes something tangible something understandable. This is not anything you'll ever understand. This is just something you'll be able to experience. And you'll never be able to explain that experience to anyone else who hasn't already had the experience. So what am I doing, wasting my time and energy trying to explain to people who have not had an experience what it's like? Well, I, I'm obeying. That's what I'm doing. I'm obeying. <laughs> so yeah, um, 
Some people love a challenge. That would be a challenge. I'm not one of those people. I look at it like, oh man, come on. I can't do this. You know, I, I mean, who didn't do that? Moses said the same thing. Moses, God shows up in a burning bush and he says to Moses, he lures Moses in like, a, like he's using a, a fly in a, in a trap, you know, or a, a fish, like he's fishing with a fly and he's trying to catch a trout. He lures Moses over to the burning bush to see what it is. Oh, what a, that's weird. The bush is burning and it's not consumed. And then he speaks to Moses from the midst of this burning bush. And what's the first thing he says? You don't remember the first thing he says? Take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. What this tells us is what we miss. And that is you must have an enormous respect for the Lord God Almighty. If you are cavalier, if you are familiar with him, you are not going to make it past infancy, spiritual infancy. All you'll get is milk and that's it. You'll never get beyond that. You'll never get to where you can actually chew food, actually be put down on your own two feet and learn how to walk. None of that will ever happen. And yeah, there are millions of people. None of that ever happens. They stay spiritual infants forever or for as long as they live, which is tragic, especially since the goal of the soul is union with God. Well, that means union with the infinite. That's incomprehensible. So there you have it. Any question? Good. Good, because I don't really have any answers. So somehow we'll, I guess, I rely on the person that I'm obeying. If he gives an order, I figure he'll give you whatever building materials you need to fulfill the order. That's the thing about God. He'll tell you, all right, I want to... Big Mac fries and a, and a vanilla milkshake. And you're sitting there and you go, where am I going to get a Big Mac fries and a vanilla milkshake? Well, he'll provide it. He'll give it to you so you can give it to him. That's really what his kids did the other day. It was his birthday. Where did that money come from? Yeah. So he gave it to them and they gave it to him. And he was moved by their gift, moved by their sacrifice, moved by their utter love and trust. That's how God is, and that's how he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be completely dependent upon him for everything. And to the world, that is anathema. To the world, that is absolutely the worst possible thing you could say. What do you mean? There's nothing for me to do. Oh, well, I'm not saying there's nothing for you to do. Little Sophie probably didn't have as hard a time as Diego in giving her father all of her money as a birthday present to him. Diego probably didn't have as difficult a time as his older brother, Raul, giving his $20 to his dad. But you can bet your bottom dollar that Raul had a harder time than Sophie because he has learned to value the money more than the dad because the dad's always there. And he's always going to be there. Every kid in the world knows that. He's always going to be here. How else could you disrespect him? How else could you take him for granted? How else could you act like we act with God? Well, he's always going to be there. He's always going to do that. Blah, 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 blah. Very dangerous thing to do. I've warned you, don't do it. It's a very dangerous thing to do. It's a very rude thing to do. And I don't expect any of you to do it. But I expect the people listening to this do it all the time or a lot. So all I can do is warn. And when you think about it, before God does anything, he usually warns people. Yeah, you look at the story of Noah's Ark. He warned people. Noah warned people. 
He built this big ark in front of all these people. They're all going, what are you doing? Building an ark. What are you doing that for? Because it's going to be a flood. And people laughed at him because that's what we do. We laugh at what we don't know, we don't understand, we can't grasp, we can't see. We laugh at it. We ridicule it. We deny it. That's what they did. You find these stories over and over and over again where that's what people do. To expect anything else is ridiculous. So I don't. I don't really expect anything else. And I don't care. You know, I feel like Ricky Gervais. I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care about your protestations. I don't care about your misunderstanding or your lack of understanding or your struggle with it. I don't care because there's nothing I can do about it. You're the one who has to pivot your soul. You're the one who has to look in the right direction. All you have to do is look. That's it. But that is one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life is just look in the right direction because everything in the world will be against you. Everything in the world will fight, kick, scream, and struggle to keep you from looking. And that's it. That's, that's really all I've got to say now. And we'll talk about this next time. And hopefully I'll have something to talk about next time. Mm -hmm.